loves the world, the one who will someday rule in this world. Uh, what a great God we serve. And he deserves our very best. If you just ponder the songs we all participated in singing and then the song that was just sung, uh, the only response that we could possibly have is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that is exactly what Paul deals with at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As he comes to the end of this book, he shares with the church at Thessalonica what they need to live life to the glory of God. He deserves my best. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the mighty God. He's the creator of the universe. He is the one who will reign and rule someday, and he deserves my very best. He gave himself for me that I might have life. And so we are going to look at and be challenged by the four different ways in which God has given us. This is an amazing thing. God has given us tools to help live the kind of life we're supposed to live. And we're going to see the last two of the four that we mentioned last week. But we will dismiss young people for time in the Word of God right now as Brother Umstead deals with them and teaches them from the Word. We will look into the Word ourselves. So young people heading out, you're in 1 Thessalonians 5. The Bible begins in verse 19 to give us the first of the four areas in which we, tools, <coughs> That God has given to help us. The Bible says, quench not the spirit, <clears throat> despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless <clears throat> unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, please give us understanding from your word today. Father, we are in desperate need to understand uh, the importance of these tools you've given to us to live the Christian life. And I pray that you would make it very clear to us about the work of sanctification and the importance of fellow believers in our lives. And today, I, I just pray that your spirit would evidently and powerfully work in our midst, as I believe you already have through the songs. I thank you for the blessing they were to my heart and the challenge they were this morning. And I pray that now this time would be just a, a great stirring of our heart by God Almighty, as we look at and see what you have given to us so that we might live for you. And I ask that you would be glorified in all things this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had opportunity to get away for a few days. Yes, to actually get away and visit Gatlinburg. And they were starting to open up Stores actually it would have been real boring had it not had opportunity to go and do well what my wife loves to do. I stood around and my wife shopped, so you know it was one of those times. Now, uh, most of you know that in order to get there, it takes about uh, about four hours by car, 
And so on Tuesday morning, we got in our car. We followed the right roads. We followed all the right roads. We got there. And by early afternoon, we were walking through the downtown area of Gatlinburg. And uh, the stores, again, were open, and and, uh, we were able to enjoy ourselves uh, and had a good time as we kind of had a late anniversary trip that we were very thankful that we had opportunity to do. Now, a great part in getting to Gatlinburg was um, was a car. I know this is really profound. This might really surprise you, but had we tried to get there on our own, we'd still be walking, probably, and we'd probably be very weak by now. Uh, no, I take it we probably would have made it a little bit sooner than that, but the truth of the matter is a car made our travel to a destination we wanted to get to a lot easier, and without it, I mean, I guess we could have rented a motorcycle. That would have been exciting, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. All right. We could have maybe done some other things. We could have hitched rides, I suspect, with people. That would have been interesting as well, I'm sure. I'm sure there would have been a lot of people stopping to pick up a couple that are standing on the side of the road with suitcases as they walk toward Gatlinburg. I don't think that would have worked, all right? The truth of the matter is the car got us to our destination, and it was an important part of our trip. God has a destination for us in this passage, and it's not necessarily laid out all that much, although there is a destination coming that he does talk about. Jesus is coming again, and there's a day when we will be with him in heaven. But until that time, we have a work to be doing for the glory of God. And if we're going to accomplish that work, if we're going to get to the destination of of being what God would have us to be when we meet with him and when we see him face to face and when we bow the knee and worship this one who gave himself for us, if we're going to be ready for that day, that what we need to be doing now is is using, if you would, the car, the tools that God has made available to us to help us uh, live life for his glory. And as we've already mentioned, there are four things that we find in these verses that we've read this morning. The power and ministry of the Spirit of God in your life is desperately needed. And in our day, that is a ministry that is, uh, I think, in some ways neglected. And he is a person that dwells within every believer, and you need his power. And we looked at that last week. We learned about the Word of God and what a powerful tool the Bible is to help us in life, live life for the glory of God and prepare for the day when we will see our Lord and Savior and we'll give account for what we've done. And the Bible is talked about here and despise not prophesying that we should love the preaching of the Word of God and love the Word of God in our own lives. We should test all things in our life by the Word of God and hold fast to things that are good. And then uh, we should abstain from all things that even appear in any way to be inconsistent with the wonderful, pure Word of God and the truth of it and that which is good and right. Today, God deals with the subject of spiritual growth and He deals with the, a word called sanctification. So we have the spirit, we have the scripture, and now we pick up in verse 23 and we look at the subject of sanctification or the work of sanctification. Verses 23 and 24 talk about that. And God deals with this subject, by the way, numerous times in the word of God, it is an important word. It's an important doctrine, and I hope you'll understand it more clearly today because there is a lot of misunderstanding in churches in regard to what sanctification all is all about. It says this in verse 23, and the very God of peace 
sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see this morning the work of sanctification. And first, let's begin by understanding the plan of sanctification. Do you know that it is the plan of God for every Christian to be sanctified? Now, it'd be helpful if you knew what the word meant. It'd be helpful if you understood what it was all about. But God's intent is for every person who names the name of Jesus Christ, every person who's part of the family of God, every person who has been saved by grace, as we heard about in that last song, Every person who knows the Lord as Savior has a job to do, and that is to be sanctified. And you say, wait a second, I don't know if we have a job to do in being sanctified. Well, yes, we actually do. I'm going to explain that a little bit. So let me talk about the plan of sanctification. Even though he doesn't deal with it in great length here, you need to understand it. Because sanctification is a doctrine that many people don't understand in our day, Yet it is vitally important because God expects you to be sanctified. So first, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to be sanctified? The word literally means to be holy, to be set apart for service. Actually, the word sanctified comes from, or at least is related very closely to, the Old Testament and the temple. It is. Because in the temple that God had designed and that the uh, that Solomon built, that that temple had a number of things that were used in the service of God. And everything that went into that temple, every one of the utensils, every one of their candlesticks, every one of the different pieces of furniture that were part of the temple were all sanctified. They went through a process, actually, uh, many of the things they anointed, they cleaned them, they cleansed them, and they purified them. And then when they were put into the temple, actually it would be back when they were put into the tabernacle in the beginning, those things were used only specifically for God. They were holy, they were pure, they were clean. Look, you didn't take the spoons that were in the, temp in the temple and, and bring them out and have soup. Okay? You didn't do that. Because they were only for use in the temple. The candlesticks. Hey, look, if, if the power was out, <laughs> they didn't have power then. All right. But if they, didn't have, if they didn't have light in the rest of the area, they didn't go and get the, the candlesticks that were in the temple and use them. You know why? Because they were set apart in service for God. You would never use, hey, look, if you had a barbecue, you wouldn't go and get the altar. You wouldn't go and get the, the, the other and take it out and, and cook because, hey, we got a bunch of people coming and we got a church fellowship. All right, that wouldn't happen because that was sanctified. It was set apart only for use for God. And do you know, God has called every believer today to be sanctified. I'm not, I'm not talking about um, uh, being washed and then living in the church the rest of your life because that isn't the picture the scriptures give. Sanctification, God talks about, is holiness of life. That God expects everyone who's part of his family to live a pure, holy life set apart from the world. Yes, we are to be different. You know, in our day, it seems like a lot of Christians are told, you know, just be whatever you want to be. Just come to church on Sunday and everything else. And that's not God's plan for those who are saved. God's plan for those who are saved is that their lives be holy like their God. Sanctified 
That is literally what the word means. God described it pretty well in 1 Peter 1.15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So look, a holy God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. We heard about that in song. By grace, we're saved. It's unmerited favor. We could never deserve it. We could never earn it. We could never, uh, we definitely don't earn it because we're sinners. And yet God offers freely a gift of salvation to all who will by faith receive Jesus Christ. And when you do, God's desires that you be like him, sanctified. And the truth is, uh, we're not necessarily such. Now, what's interesting to me is in the Bible, God says you are sanctified, but you're not sanctified. Do you find that interesting? Notice what he says here. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. There's a work that God was doing in the lives of the church at Thessalonica, the believers at Thessalonica, helping them become what God intended them to be. But what is interesting, if you take time to look through the Bible, you'll find that there were churches that were already sanctified. Well, there's at least one church, the Church of Corinth. Uh, if you look at me strange, I'll know that you know something about the Church of Corinth. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the Church of Corinth was carnal. They weren't people who were living for God. They weren't serving God. The church at Thessalonica was a church that was doing that which is right. They were godly people. They were living for the Lord. They were serving the Lord. They were trying to make their lives count. The church of Corinth wasn't. The church of Corinth was, they were having all sorts of arguments with people. Uh, some people were arguing, well, I was saved by so-and-so. I was saved by Paul. And others would say, I was saved by Apollos. And they were really proud about the fact of who led them to Jesus Christ. These people had all sorts of problems. But you know what God said about them? Listen to the words of God about the church at Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. And such were some of you, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you know the Bible teaches that everyone who receives Jesus Christ as Savior is sanctified the moment they get saved. That's why Paul could tell the church at Corinth, who was carnal, you're sanctified. And you say, well, wait a second, wait a second. He told the church at Thessalonica, the God of peace sanctify you holy, and then he tells the church at Corinth, you're sanctified. That doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. There are different kinds of sanctification in the Bible, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. There are churches who teach just one sanctification, but there's a lot. There's actually a number of different kinds of sanctification in the Bible. When someone receives Jesus Christ as Savior, Church at Corinth, Church at Thessalonica, whoever it is, any person who ever puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is sanctified the very moment they get, they get saved. And that is this, that God, Jesus Christ, washes away all your sins, makes you part of his family. And as far as your position in him, he always sees you as sanctified from the very moment you trust Christ. That's, by the way, how I know that I'm going to heaven someday. Not because I'm good, not because I've done anything wonderful. It's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He appropriated his blood as payment for my sins. And the moment I trusted Christ, he sanctified me. And God sees me as holy every day, all the day. And he will 
until the day I go to meet him. There is a positional sanctification that God talks about in his word, and he told the church of Corinth they had it, and every believer has it today if you're part of his family. But let me tell you something. I, you, you may be surprised at this. I don't always live that. God always sees me as that in Jesus Christ. That's why I know I'm headed to heaven, and I know I'm on way to heaven, because God did something for me I couldn't do for myself. He sanctified me. But I don't always live a holy life. I know that surprises some of you this morning, at least a few of you this morning, all right? Uh, it, and I don't even hear it from you, all right? My, my wife knows that I'm not sanctified holy. The truth is, I don't always live how God sees me. I don't always live what God made me. And that is what this passage is talking about. Sometimes we use the word progressive sanctification or um, practical sanctification. And what we mean by that is this. When I got saved, I was sanctified. I was sanctified holy. God will always see me as sanctified, and that's why I know I'm headed for heaven, because my sins have been cared for. They're washed away. Past, present, future. They're all gone. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. But I still sin. I still do the things that are wrong. I am not. I don't live that sanctified life all the time. And so what God desires of me, in fact, that's what God is going to help me to do in this passage, is he is going to help me to take steps so that I can live how he sees me. Positional sanctification, I'm on my way to heaven. My sins are forgiven. God sees me as holy. Don't always live it. So what God desires is that I take steps in my life to become more like Jesus Christ. But I can't do it on my own. And that is exactly what we're told in this passage. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So there is a plan that God has. The plan that God has is I have made you holy. Now I want you to be holy. Live that way. Act that way. Walk that way. Your, your conversation, your activities, the things that you do, I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. Live differently. Don't live like the world. As a Christian, live a different life. That's God's plan for my life. Someone said this, there are too many people who would rather hear a good sermon on Sunday than live one throughout the week. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? There are many Christians who seem to have an attitude that says, hey, I'm on my way to heaven. doesn't matter what I do now. And God says it does matter. And Paul said, I'm concerned about it for you folks, even though I know you're Christians who are growing and you're living for God, you still have a work to be done in your heart and life. And so I pray God will sanctify you wholly. I'm praying that God will completely make you what he saved you and what he made you part of his family to be, completely holy in life. So uh, here's, here's the truth. The matter, God wants me to be sanctified. That is his plan. That is his desire. Uh, imagine you and I were having a very frank, open discussion about life. And I were to ask you this question, and I want you to think about it for a moment. What is your greatest longing in life? What do you live for? 
What do you want from life? Now, you're not answering that out loud. I, I, I certainly don't do that. But if you were completely honest, what would your answer be? Can I tell you what it should be? To be holy like my God. That should be my longing. It was the longing that Paul had for these Christians. It's the longing that God has for us. Because it says in this passage, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The plan of God, the longing of God, the longing of those who love God is for believers and for them for their own life that they would be holy, sanctified. So look at the principle. It's laid out for us here in this passage. You, you aren't sanctified yet. You are sanctified, but you aren't sanctified. And as we've already said, when I trusted Christ, my salvation is complete. Hey, listen, my salvation is dependent upon anything I do today. I, I am so thankful for that. Because <laughs> I'd be in a heap of trouble I know you, you people are a lot better than me, but I'd be in a heap of trouble if my salvation were dependent on how, we're living, how, how I'm living. But God sanctified me already through Jesus Christ. Now, what God says is, be holy as I am holy. That is the principle. That is the practice. That is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that is what God longs for in my life. Do you know that we're, we're not there? Ephesians 4.22 says this, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He doesn't use the word sanctification there, but Ephesians 4, uh, 22 and on through the end of the chapter is dealing with that subject of being sanctified, living what God made you when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. That is a work that needs to be taking place. It needs to be moving forward in your life. So how is it going to happen? Well, look at the participant in verse 23 of our text. The very God of peace sanctify you holy. Hey, listen, you're involved according to Ephesians chapter 4. You're involved in sanctification in many ways because you have to make the decision. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this. I am going to do this. I'm going to put off the things that are wrong. I'm going to put on the things that are new. The Bible talks about our responsibility and our duty to move toward holiness. But you know what the Bible, be ye holy as I am holy. But do you know what the Bible also says? You can't do it on your own. See, the truth is, if I try to be holy on my own, this is one of the things that people misunderstand about lost people. Lost people try to live a good life in order to win salvation. They will never do it. You know why? Because that's not holiness. If they're trying to attain it on their own, they'll never get it. And that's not being critical of them. Because the truth is, if I try to live it now, if I'm trying to live it in totally my own strength, it's not holiness as far as God is concerned. I need God's help. His spirit dwelling within will help me in this matter of holiness. 
His word is going to help me to know what holiness is all about and how to, how to put off and put on and the things that I need to do. Yes, but I need the help of God Almighty to do this work. That is the principle laid out for this. I need God's help. Look, look we, we could have, going back to that simple illustration, you know, we could have said, I really want to be in Gatlinburg. I really want to be in Gatlinburg. I really want to be in Gatlinburg. And we could have clicked our red shoes together, but it wouldn't have helped us get there. You know? Take me away. Wouldn't have helped. Um, we needed something to get, get us there. And, and let me tell you, Christian, you need God. You need God to live a holy life. You need his aid. You need his help. He says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. There is a sense in which, as a Christian, if I'm going to become what God wants me to be, I have to cooperate with God. I have to work with his spirit. I have to use his word. And then I have to cooperate with God as God does a work in and through my life. Do you know God uses circumstances to make me holy? So here's a good question. Have you cooperated well with the circumstances he's given you this past week? You ever have a flat tire and get all bent out of shape? You never do that, I know, but sometimes I do. Yeah, you ever have something, something happen, something bad? You, you stub your toe, and then you stub your toe again, the same one, and you stub your toe again the third time in one day, and you think, man, this is a bad day. You ever realize that God uses all sorts of things to help us to be holy in life? Sometimes trouble. Sometimes heartache. Might be the, the loss of a loved one. It, it might be... Just the difficulties of, of living daily life. And God uses all sorts of ways and has all sorts of means to bring us to this place where we can be used by him wholly and completely. And we have to be willing to cooperate and work with him. By the way, I think this verse suggests that we need to ask for his help. Paul said that, this is what I desire for you. And he says, I, I pray. And I know those words are in italics, but the attitude of this was, this is what I long for for your life. And this is what I long for for my life. Do you know Paul said that I may know him? That was his desire in life, to be holy. And so it needs to be our desire and we need God's help. And by the way, this is something we'll work on, get this, for the rest of our lives. You say, what, what, are, are you kidding me? Well, he says, I pray God that it'll sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body, the whole of you be preserved blameless. Until when? Until he comes again. So it's a work that God began at the moment of salvation. He made you holy. Now he's making you holy. You, you understand that picture? The positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and you need to let him do that work, and you need to cooperate with him today and tomorrow and next week. And if he doesn't come for 10 years, 10 years from now, and if he doesn't come for another 150 years, 150 years from now, well, None of you will be here. But the truth of the matter is, until the day God takes you home, if you're part of his family, 
you have a job to be accomplishing for his glory, and you need his help in every step of the way. So let me ask you, have you been cooperating with him? Have you been asking God to help you see in every situation of life opportunities for you to be holy? Um, Just came to mind, Job. Job went through a lot of difficulties, didn't he? Do you know in each one of those difficulties, each one gave Job an opportunity to purify his life. And they say, God, I'm going to serve you, not for what you do for me, but for who you are. Because you are God. How great thou art. You are the holy God of heaven and earth, and you deserve my very best. You bought me with your with your blood, and I owe you my all. And I'm going to serve you, God, no matter what happens in life. I'm going to strive to live that holy life because, because you gave yourself for me. He is the one. And this is a sanctification we're to work at all our lives. And God will help. I am so encouraged in that. Do you know why? Because I found that when I try to do it on my own, I get frustrated. How about you? You know this work of sanctification? I think one of the reasons why some Christians get discouraged in their Christian life is seriously because they're doing it on their own. Well, you know, the preacher's always talking about standards, and boy, we got to be different, and we can't listen to this, and we can't go to this place, and we can't watch that on TV, and we got to can't do anything. And sometimes we see that we've got all these rules and restrictions and regulations, and we stop relying upon God to give us help to do the things that we ought to do. And when we do, I'll tell you what, then Christianity becomes a chore. And the truth of the matter is we aren't holy. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we abide in him, then we're able to bring forth fruit of righteousness and holiness. And that is the work Paul says we desperately need. I need God's help to be holy today. What about you? Holy in my relationship with my wife. Holy in my relationship with God's people here, as nice as you people are. Holy in, in the things that I, that I watch on the internet and the things that I do. I need And look at the wonderful promise of verse 24. If I am dependent upon him, if I'm looking to him, if I'm saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I know you see me this way. I know I want to be there because you did so much for me and you deserve my very best. The Lord, I'm not there and I need your help. You know what God says? Hey, I'll do it. God keeps his word. Aren't you thankful for that? God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God keeps his word. When someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what God does for him? God saves him. Isn't that wonderful? Because God keeps his word. I always find it interesting that people don't believe verses that are so simple. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, God says if you believe, you can have life. That's right. And God keeps his word. Faithful is he that calleth you. He's trustworthy. Who will also do it? Lord, I can't live that holy life. That's, God says, that's just what I wanted to hear. You can't. But I can through you. And if you'll let me, I'll do a great work in your life. And that, my friends, is the Christian life. This last portion of 1 Thessalonians 5 is so important to life. I need God's spirit. I need God's word. I need God to enable me to live this Christian life. Jonah made this statement, a preacher said. Salvation is of the Lord. You know, he did make that statement. I think it's in Jonah chapter 2, isn't it? As he, after he's been three days in the belly of a great fish, and he was, no matter what anyone says, he was. And here's what the preacher said. He had come to the conclusion that if he was going to ever be delivered from the fish's belly, the Lord had to do it. That's profound, isn't it? I mean, hey, he, he was thrown in the water, and the, the fish ate him or swallowed him whole. And so, you know, I mean, I think you would probably come to the place. It took him three days, didn't it? Come to the place where he'd say, I'm never going to get out of here unless God, God does it. Isn't that profound? Here's, here's what he said then. Every person who has been saved, this is the truth, or ever will be saved, has to come to the same conclusion. Salvation is of the Lord. If it's going to be done, it's going to be God who does it, not me. But you know the truth is, every Christian who ever lives for God, for the glory of God, has to come to the same conclusion about sanctification talked about in this passage. If it's going to happen, God's got to do it. Lord, I can't live that holy life unless you live it through me. Salvation is of the Lord. If I'm going to please you, Lord, you got to help me. Salvation is of the Lord. And what thrills my soul is that my God is trustworthy. He'll do it if I look to him. You say, okay, pastor, then we're done, right? Because that's, that's all that's important. I'm sorry, but there's a few more verses left in this chapter. So let me give you the second, the work of saints. The work of saints. The book closes with practical instructions to these believers. And we could have just looked at it and said, ah, okay, we're done. He's closing the book, which everyone does. You know, right at the end of the message, everyone closes their Bible and zips up their Bible case if they have one. And, you know, it's basically service done. The preacher can't say anything else. No one's paying attention anyway. You didn't know that I noticed that, did you? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's like, okay, he's done. I got my, th I got my third point. <laughs> you know, we're done. All right, that's, that's how, but we're not done. Notice what he says. He says, brethren, pray for us. In these last few verses, Paul just writes this personal note to these people and shares some things that, that are so important. And quite honestly, they're important for you and I. The truth is, to live this life that God desires, to live this sanctified life, I need God. I need his spirit. I need his word. But you know what else I need? God's people. Paul knew that. So he said, brethren, 
pray for us. Hey, can I tell you, any pastor worth his salt would say the same thing that I'm saying right now. I need you to pray for me. Paul said that. Paul understood that his ministry was dependent upon people praying because God answers prayer. And so, listen, I, folks, if you don't pray for your pastor regularly, I, I, shame on you. I, I'm mad at you. But I know the Lord's doing something in this, so I'll, I'll, I'll get over it real quickly. But the truth of the matter is I, I need you to pray. You need, um, so the work of saints, lift people up in prayer. Verse 25, lift people up in prayer. Do you know Paul made that, made that request seven times in the epistles? Pray for us. Pray for me. Seven times. Paul asked people to pray for him. Lifting up people in prayer is a vital ministry. It's an important ministry. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the pastor. I'm sorry, it's not that. It's for all saints. So God's people need you to pray. You say, Pastor, you pray for me, right? Mm-hmm. You know what? Brother, Brother Morris needs to be praying for um, Brother Deals. Because Brother Deals needs it. His wife would say amen to that one. Okay? And, and Mrs. Deals, uh, she needs to be praying for Brother Slusser. Uh, and the, the Wileys need, need to be praying for the Gettys and the Gettys for the Wileys. Prayer impacts lives. And so what Paul asked for is something that we need to do. By the way, we not only need to lift people in prayer, but we need to love people in practice. Now, um, verse 26 is an interesting one. I'm not going to get off on this subject for a, for a long time. But um, do you know three different times in Scripture God talks about a holy kiss? We're not going to start that. <laughs> so don't, don't go there. But here's what one writer said. In early times, the kiss, as a token of peace, friendship, and brotherly love, was frequent among all people, and Christians used it in their public assemblies as well as in their occasional meetings. Kind of like you would, you know, you think the the French and they, you know, they would kind of kiss on both both sides or both cheeks. It's just a, a greeting. It was a, a common greeting. But I think the idea would be this, is that we need to have a common affection for one another or care for one another. Today in our day, we kind of shake hands, which we haven't been doing. But you, you, you get the idea. There just needs to be a common affection for one another. And the church desperately needs that. You know why? Because we live in a day when there are evil people calling evil good. And there is an assault on the church over whether they can even meet right now. That, let me tell you, is, is not from God. And it's not about a virus. It's about the enemy of God who doesn't want the people of God to hear from God. That is the problem, people. That's another message for another time, but you need to hear that. And we need, we need God's people. Do you know how bad it was to, to be without fellowship from God's people for about a month? It really, really. There, Brother Doyle said it right. You know, there, there's just something wrong. He's like, we got to be in church. We need to be somewhere in church. 
And I'm glad God gave us that opportunity. He has for a month now. But listen, God's people need God's people. We need to love people in practice. There needs to be genuine love of God's people because we live in a day when we need the support of God's people to live the Christian life as God wants. We need, uh, by the way, the preaching of God's word. And uh, look in verse 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. I I put learn by proclaiming because I'm trying to follow alliteration. Lift in prayer, love in practice, learn by proclaiming. In other words, God's people need the help of one another, and we need the Bible. Hebrews says this, not to forsake the assembly. Why? Because we need one another, and we need the Bible. We need Bible preaching. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Because there will come a time, Paul said, where they will not endure sound doctrine. Wow. Is that a day in which... They're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I love that statement. Isn't that a, a really a great one? Itching ears, all right? But the truth of the matter is we live in such a day, and they've lived in such a day since the time of Jesus Christ. And preaching of the word is so important. Learn by proclaiming. We need to open the word. We need to read the word. And, um, and all, all of God's people need the word read to one another. Learn by proclaiming. And by the way, that's everyone doing it with everyone. That's interesting, isn't it? And then the last thing I put is long for power. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace is the supernatural enabling of God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In salvation, it's making us part of the family of God. In Christian living, it's helping us to do the things that we that we could not do on our own. And God gives it. And he prayed for that for God's people. We need God's power. So listen, people. Um, God saved us. He made us holy. But he wants us to live it. And he's going to enable us. But we need him. The destination, holiness. The destination, God's presence someday when he comes again. The destination, uh, being like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I can't get there without these tools that God has given. I need the car. Do you have them? Are you cooperating with the Spirit? Does the Word have his way? Are you allowing God to sanctify you and make you holy? Do you depend on and are you relying upon God's people? And are they helping you and are you helping them? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.